It really is a timely message. Um, the, original, the original title of this message was A New Hope, and uh, some of you are already giggling because that's the, that's the title of Star Wars, right? The original Star Wars, and, and uh, I won't uh, make any mention of that, although there is a Star Wars gathering coming in April <laughs> in Anaheim, if anyone would like to go. Now, I'm just saying, just saying. But we all do need a little bit of hope, don't we? Um, what is life without hope? And I, I, let me say another thing about what Dennis shared, um, and it c- kind of connects with, with Ferdinand as well. Um, there's a situation at Allergan that is a fluid, it's still kind of ongoing, and so both Joan Ann, um, Dennis's wife, and uh, Ferdinand aren't really sure about their work situation either, so... Um, prayers need to be all around, covering all around. Um, so what is life without hope? Well, there are different opinions, right? Uh, think about your favorite quotes about hope. Think about your favorite quote about hope. Okay, here are a few. Martin Luther King, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness, Desmond Tutu. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tunes without the words and never stops at all, poet Emily Dickinson. Hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. Philosopher. Frederick Nietzsche. A whole stack of memories never equals one little hope. Uh, Cartoonist Charles Schultz, and I think that uh, Schultz was more of a philosopher than he was a cartoonist, really. Here's a good one. Francis Bacon. Hope is good for breakfast, but it is a bad supper. What do you think that means? I think bacon is a good breakfast. but a bad supper. (laughs) Hope is the last thing a person does before they are defeated. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure there's, with March Madness coming, there's a lot of hope that's going to be happening, right? Um, Benjamin Franklin said, he that lives upon hope will die fasting. That lives upon hope will die. Some kind of negative thoughts here. Especially, I wouldn't think Benjamin Franklin would be that like. He's a he's a downer, isn't he? (laughs) Well, let's end with a good one. George Washington Carver: Where there is vision, where there is no vision, sorry, there is no hope. And I think that's very true in our lives. Well, one of the more interesting quotes. Uh, about hope comes from a movie, and no, I'm not talking about Star Wars, although um, Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope <laughs> is, is pretty profound. 
Uh, no, I'm actually talking about a scene from the movie The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's actually one of my favorite movies. It's about a bank vice president, Andy Dufresne, who is wrongly accused of the death of his wife and her lover. And he's sent to Shawshank Prison, uh, the, the roughest, toughest places, one of the roughest, toughest places on the plant, face of the planet. And there, Andy meets and befriends a group of inmates who sort of become his cheerleaders. And in this scene, uh, Andy just gets out of uh, a time in solitary confinement because he dared to play classical music over the PA system without permission. So here's the scene from Shawshank Redemption. And can we uh, have the lights lowered? Just hit, just hit the, uh, the big ones. I think that's good. OK. Let me see if this will work this time. Hey, you, you can play something good, huh? Hank Williams. They broke the door down before I could take requests. Was it worth it? Two weeks in the hall? Easiest time I ever did. Oh, such thing as easy time in the hall. That's right, a week in the hall. <laughs> I'm Mr. Mozart. Give me a compliment. So they let you tote that record player down there, huh? Is hope a dangerous thing? Is hope a matter of opinion? If we are to hope, what are we to hope for and what are we to base our hope upon? All good questions. And the thing I love about Scripture is that it doesn't pull any punches. Scripture does not paint a rosy picture of life. It gets down to brass tacks where the rubber meets the road, where life produces heat and friction, and it doesn't back off. So how do we find hope? What does the story of the Bible teach us about surviving in perilous times, in dark times, in hopeless times? Well, in the Old Testament, we find a book written 
by a man who knew about hopelessness, who had seen rough times. His very life had been threatened by the people he was sent to serve and to love, the prophet Jeremiah, often called the weeping prophet, wrote the book of Lamentations. A lament is a cry from your heart in response to your hopeless situation. It is an, emotion, it is an emotional outburst that speaks with feelings too deep, too painful even for words. Maybe some of you have felt that recently. Or maybe for some of you, life hasn't hit you hard enough to feel at that depth yet. But everybody goes through heartache at some time or another. For Jeremiah, God's servant, his pain came through the disobedience of his countrymen and women who followed after foreign gods and worshipped idols. Jeremiah's pain came because God's judgment was about to come down hard on Israel. Jerusalem would be leveled, and the people would be taken into captivity. The glory days were over. They were entering into dark times that would last 70 years. But in the midst of the dark time, Jeremiah expresses a small glimmer of hope, a slight ray of sunlight to encourage the heart of the wayward Jews. It's not an easy time, but Jeremiah shows us that we can find hope, and we find finding hope begins as we survey our situation. We need to survey our situation. He says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah speaks here of his own personal situation. He was one of the captives taken by the Babylonians, and he was suffering the captivity right alongside his fellow countrymen, even though it wasn't his fault. Although, in fact, he tried to warn them. You know, when you find yourself in a wilderness, lost and without a compass, what do you do? What do you think the first thing you should do? Well, experts say the first thing you should do is to survey your situation. To survey your situation. Find what resources you have. Next, you have to decide that you will indeed survive. You will indeed survive. Attitude is the most important thing. If you think you're going to die, you probably will. Uh, I don't know if you saw or read the book Unbroken, but Louis Zamperini and his crewmates were stranded in a lifeboat at sea for 40 days without food or water. And the only one who didn't make it was the person who thought that they were going to die, that no one would find him, no one would find them. And indeed, he was the only person to die. A hopeful person takes an accurate survey of his situation and his environment and does what he can and must do to survive. That's Jeremiah's situation. He remembers his affliction, his wandering, his bitterness, and this, this brings him to a sudden realization of the reality of his situation. 
But he doesn't get stuck there. He doesn't get stuck there. He doesn't remain in his despair. Perhaps Jeremiah's greatest resource is his faith experience with God. His faith experience with God. He has experienced the grace and mercy of God. And as he says, it is new every morning. It's new every morning. Have you ever woken up before dawn and taken a walk around your your neighborhood? Have you ever done that? Or even outside in your yard? If you have, you will notice a fine layer of moisture along the ground, maybe even covering everything. That moisture is called dew, and most mornings you will find it on the ground. It will evaporate by mid-morning, but the dew is always there. God sends it in the nighttime to renew and revive the ground and the earth. It is God's way of reminding us that he is there working through the night when we are asleep, when we don't even see or notice him at work. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Um, I've experienced that mercy of God. Um, I'll share a little bit more about it uh, in a little bit, but I've gone through times of layoff and doubt and not uncertainty about the future, and uh, I can attest to the fact that God's mercies are new every morning. Well, secondly, the way, the, the way to find hope or hope materializes as we remind ourselves who God is. So not only does uh, Jeremiah survey his situation, he reminds himself of who God is. This is a mental thing. Most of enduring and most of getting through our heartaches is emotional and mental. And so Jeremiah says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. The important thing isn't just to have hope. Because hope in itself will only take you so far. The important thing is where our hope is grounded and found. If we hope that tomorrow we will win the lottery... Even if we win the lottery, that probably wouldn't solve all our life's problems. In fact, it may create even more, larger problems for us, right? So Jeremiah reminds himself that God is his portion. It's another way of saying that God is the one who satisfies him. He is in need of nothing else. He says that God is good to those who wait on him, to those who have hope in him. It is good to wait quietly for the Lord. It is good for us to wait quietly. There's a song by, by a music group named Casting Crowns. I don't know if you've heard of them. One of my favorite bands. And the song is called Just Be Held. It was released about a year and a half ago. 
Well, a couple of weeks ago, the doctors of Mark Hall, the lead uh, singer for Casting Crowns, discovered a mass on one of his kidneys. Uh, and there was a 90% chance of it being cancerous. So they decided to operate right away. Um, this last Wednesday, March 11th, they actually removed the kidney with the mass on it. And he's been recuperating from surgery. And just this morning on, his face, on their Facebook uh, page, I read that the test came back and the, uh, the mass was positive for cancer, although um, it, the cancer was encased so that it had not metastasized yet. But um, uh, it was a, an ag- they found out it was an aggressive cancer. So had they not operated and removed the, the kidney, um, eventually it would have been fatal for him. And interestingly enough, they had not, you know, he had just gone in for regular uh, physical. And typically they don't do a CAT scan on your organs during a physical, but this time they did, and they found the mass. So they found it at, at an early enough time that uh, it, he should be okay, although he's going to have to live with one kidney for the rest of his life. Um, I'd like to show you that video right now, because I think, oh, sorry, there's a music video of the song. I'd like you to listen to that song, and, and I'd like to show you the video of it, okay? Because I think it will, um, for those of you who are going through a rough time, it will encourage you. It will remind you of who God is, what his character is. And, you know, as we're watching this video, um, if you could think about Mark Hall and uh, say a prayer for him and his family, I think that would be great. The song is called Just Be Held. Yeah. 
I love that line, your world's not falling apart, it's falling into place. How often we forget that God is in control and he's on the throne, and uh, we think the world is falling apart, but it really is falling into place. Well, I want to kind of turn the corner on the message here and and go to something that uh, um, Dennis actually alluded to about not allowing our tears to be wasted or our pain to be wasted. Uh, finding hope is strengthened. Finding hope is strengthened when we remember our purpose. We're turning now to, to the New Testament, to um, the Apostle Paul. And in Colossians 1, uh, verses 24, through 24 and 25, he says this, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up my, in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. We now move to the New Testament where the Apostle Paul gives us his take on finding hope, and he starts by reminding himself of his life's purpose. He says that he has become the servant of the church by the commission God gave to him to present the word of God in its fullness. Paul has been called by God to bring the word of God to the Gentile nation and to preach the gospel of Christ to people who have never heard of Christ before. We've got a calling in our life, each one of us, something that God has uniquely created us for. Our life ambition should be to fulfill the calling that God has on your life. But before we can do that, we have to discover our life calling, right? I'm not talking about a job. I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about what God has created you to do uniquely and to be in your life. The Apostle Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And it wasn't until he had a personal encounter with Christ that he began to understand, to train for that calling, which he would carry throughout the rest of his lifetime. When we find ourselves in difficult situations, when we are starting to feel hopeless and lost, our hope can be strengthened when we're reminded to go back to our calling, remembering how God has called us, each one of us. When Paul wrote Colossians, it is most likely that he was, hurt, he was writing it from prison. I can't imagine a more hopeless feeling than being held prisoner in a cold, musty cell with very little sunlight and without, and without the one thing that most of us can't live without, freedom. And that is exactly what Paul is facing here as he writes to the Colossians. But imagine Paul in his prison, and yet he writes that he rejoices in what has been suffered for the sake of the church, that they may be presented the word of God in all its fullness. 
I'm sure oftentimes you felt like giving up. But that is the very time that you must reflect on your calling in life. Remember what you were created for and be true to that calling. How do you discover that calling? Well, I think it goes back to who you were as a child. What were some of the longings that God put into your heart, even as a kid? And you know, over time, uh, things might have changed, and you've grown, and you've learned different things, but you are essentially the same person. And God is calling you to be that person, whatever and wherever you are right now. Whatever job you're in, whatever uh, vocation you're in, whatever responsibility you have been given, there is something unique about you that God has called. And I can't tell you what that is. And I can't necessarily tell you how to discover it other than clinging on to God and researching it with him. But those are the things that will carry us through our most difficult times. Secondly, hope is found in the glory of Christ. And this is a great, probably a key passage in Scripture, and one that I think is uh, profoundly misunderstood and a mystery in some ways. But Paul says this, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, this is what he's teaching, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope is found in the glory of Christ. Now this mystery is not like a detective story where you're kept guessing about the outcome until the very end. This mystery is actually a truth that has been kept hidden but finally revealed. But revealed to those who will listen. Revealed to those who have ears. Jesus said it over and over again in the Gospels. To those who have ears, let them hear. To those who have ears, let them hear. This mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you. People are looking for the answers to life. They still are. When the answer is right in front of them, and oftentimes inside of them, if you're a believer. No other faith that I know of has this idea that God himself comes to live inside of you, to reside in your heart. There's no other belief that I know of that has that idea, that thought. That you have an identity in Christ, but that you have a relationship with Christ in you. There is power in that mystery. There is power in that thought. This is the hope of glory. This is the hope of glory. The glory of Christ will be a victorious entrance when he comes back to earth. 
Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Even so. To put an end to all injustice and sin in the world. And to gather up his children like his flock. And take him to home, to heaven. But this glory is also realized in part today. Because Christ is in you. As we live out our faith with hope in real time, in today. It is for the future, but it is for right now as well. A well-known British theologian from an earlier era, G. Campbell Morgan, said it this way. Christ in you is the hope of this glory. What is this hope? I wish we bore in mind the real significance of the good old Anglo-Saxon word hope. It does not mean foundationless expectation, but rather confidence in something yet to be, with an accompanying endeavor to reach it. I hope that you have this confidence in something yet to be, with an accompanying hope, an accompanying endeavor to reach it. Today, around the world, believers are living out this hope of glory when they give up their lives rather than give up their Jesus. Um, My thoughts go to the 20 martyrs in Libya who were beheaded because they they would not give up their Jesus. And there are so many others, if not in Libya or the Middle East, then in communist China or in Muslim Indonesia or other places where um, there's persecution happening against the church. But I think about the fact that this is exactly what Paul is talking about here when he speaks from first-hand experience because he lived it out himself. He died believing in Jesus. He died Christ in him. Finally, hope is passed on to others as we reflect the glory of Christ. Paul ends this passage by saying, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your tears. Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste whatever. Last week, uh, last weekend, was the funeral of my father-in-law, Ronald's son. He He was always happy to share with people that Christianity went back three generations in his family um, and that his grandchildren represented the fifth generation of Christians, which for a Chinese family going back before communist China was a very, very rare thing. But his was a life that reflected the glory of Christ. He was by far, no, by, by no means 
not a perfect person. He would be the first to admit, but he, w- uh, but he was definitely a faithful person, a man who lived out his faith over 91 years. Guys like him and uh, Louis Zamperini, uh, like Billy Graham, who is now in his 90s, um, are very rare indeed. But they are shining examples to us to live lives of hope and people that have passed on that hope to generations to follow simply because they reflected the glory of Christ. They didn't grab, they didn't try to grab their own glory. They always pointed their lives back to Jesus as a reason for their hope. Christ is that solid rock to build our hope upon and our life upon. These aren't dangerous times that we live in. Um, But we didn't live through world wars. And uh, this generation, I think, perhaps is learning that um, nothing will come easy. That our faith will have to endure through difficult times. That we do face dark times ahead. And that our only hope really is in Jesus, in Christ. And I hope that you have Christ in you. And that if you don't, you would be curious and piqued by this idea of having a relationship with Jesus. Of having the resource of God living in you. Being part of who you are. Of having Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is that solid rock, and I would want that for each one of us. I hope that as we're going through this series of renewal, that um, wherever you're at in your life, um, whatever you've been experiencing, that God is speaking to you, that he's bringing you through these times, and that we do it together, that we share one another's stories, that we share one another's pains and heartaches, that we're real with one another, so that we can see Christ working in our lives, that our worship becomes genuine worship that comes from our heart, and not just singing songs about Jesus, but singing songs to Jesus. I asked um, Dennis to lead us in this closing song, The Solid Rock. It's a hymn, an old hymn, But it's a great reminder to us about exactly who Jesus is. Let's let's bow our heads in prayer as we prepare. Father, I give you thanks um, for all that has been shared this morning. Um, You've been speaking through it. I, I pray that your spirit has been in control of everything that has been um, said and experienced and heard, um, and that the response of our heart would be to the response of the Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, we need you as our foundation, as our solid rock upon which to build our lives, no more so than now, today. But even, Lord, as we face the future, we pray that our hearts would be focused on you, our eyes would be focused on you, that our hearts would dwell upon 
the riches of Christ in us, living in us, the hope of our glory. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.